0: They haven't updated their awareness of what's happening in the world. And, you know, it's tradition, like for the on the roof tradition, you know, like we have these traditions of eating gefilte fish and brisket and and all these things on the holidays and on Shabbat and chicken soup. And it's like, okay, like tradition is great. Tradition is fine. It's actually very, very important in Judaism. But tradition cannot override a Torah law. And in our world today, in the factory farming world, there are Torah laws, Torah laws, like from the Bible, like in the black and the white, not like a commentary, not like a nice little kind of twist on, on the words, Torah laws that are being broken in these industries, in the way that they're raising the animals, in the, in the way that they are intensely using resources, in the way that they are polluting the environment, in the way that they are causing tremendous illness to people, to humans.
1: What the hell is up you guys? Today I have a very special guest joining us all the way from Israel. His name is Rabbi Akiva Gersh and we met a few months ago at Rutgers University where he was presenting on the intersection between veganism and Judaism. Who would have thought that there was a connection but he has managed to prove to me that there is and today in this episode we're going to talk all about how the Bible and scripture and Torah actually advocates for veganism and not eating animals so without further ado i welcome you the vegan rabbi rabbi akiva gersh
0: thank you so much really great to be here jamie really a pleasure and an honor
1: Thank you so much for your time and for joining us. And just to give you guys a little bit of background information, Rabbi Akiva Gersh, he studied religious studies at Brown University, and he also has a master's in Jewish education from Yeshiva University, and I sure learned a lot from him. So hopefully in this episode, you guys find it to be very informative as well. So Rabbi, why don't you just give us a little background as to who you are and what you're up to nowadays?
0: Okay, so my name is Akiva Gersh. I'm originally from New York, just outside of New York City is where I grew up. I moved to Israel in 2004, so I've been here for 19 years with my wife Tamar. We have four kids who are all born here in Israel. The youngest is seven, the oldest almost 17. And I've been working in the field of Jewish and Israel education for the last 20 plus years. Uh, I radically changed my life 25 years ago by taking on a traditional Orthodox Jewish practice. Before that, radically changed my life um, by going vegan. And um, ever since high school and more so in college, I had a very, very deep passion for the environment, environmental studies, ethics, activism, and that really changed my life, guided my life to where I am today, uh, specifically doing more and more work through the platform of The Vegan Rabbi, which I opened up a few years ago, first on Facebook, then on Instagram, simply to share teachings from Judaism that support going vegan in our world today. Uh, talks about, you know, teachings that talk about compassion for animals, and it became much bigger than I ever expected, and it's been a real pleasure and a real honor, and um, so, yeah. Really, really uh, thankful to be doing this work and to be connecting to amazing people like you, Jamie, I I have to say.
1: Oh, thank you. Yes, it's so great to connect with you. And after I attended your talk, I was like, I need to have you on my podcast because I feel like there is such a big misconception with what some of the ancient teachings show us and people's interpretations of them. And you kind of showed me that actually when you continue reading some of these verses, they are they actually are advocating for veganism. And so we're gonna get into that and break that down, talk about the commandments. And uh, for those of you guys that don't know, I was actually raised Jewish. I was brought up uh, going to synagogue and temple for the high holidays. I wasn't super religious, but we celebrated Hanukkah. I was bought mitzvah, I can read and write Hebrew. And so I find it so interesting that your vegan journey actually connected you more to Judaism. So why don't you just talk a little bit about how you first went vegan?
0: Okay, so I I like to say that I grew up in a very, very typical American suburban environment and lifestyle. That's the suburban bubble uh, just outside of New York City where you don't really see much or hear much or think about much about the impact that your everyday life has on the world, uh, the people around you and the people far away from you and the ecosystems far away from you. And that's the bubble I grew up in, a very kind of nice, you know, clean uh, suburban town outside of New York City. And really kind of trained to, you know, do really well in school so I can get into a good college, so I could, you know, get a good job and I can make lots of money. And that's the happy life. That was the path that I was taught. That was the path that I was uh, kind of pushed down uh, growing up all through my K through 12 years. In high school, I started to realize some cracks, you know, in the foundation, uh, but it wasn't really until my first year in college where everything like exploded, really. I mean, just crumbled down. My first year in college had lots of realizations, epiphanies, and that came as a result of the classes I was taking, the people I was meeting, the conversations I was having, the books I was reading. It was a real life-changing year. And the main realization that I took from that year was that we... Humans in our modern human society are destroying the world, damaging the environment through our everyday, seemingly innocent actions. Things that we're not even really doing on purpose, we're just doing them because we're told to, like certain products that we buy and things we pour down our drains and the clothing we wear and, of course, the foods that we eat. After having this tremendous, you know, life changing year, I, I decided on two things. One was to become an environmental studies major. Uh, That was my focus academically in college. I switched to religious studies at the very, very end of my time in college just for technical reasons. But the environment was always my passion. And I became vegetarian. And that was 1994. And a year later, 1995, I became vegan for the same reasons. I realized all the reasons I'm vegetarian should be the reasons I go vegan. I think I'm going to go vegan. So that was 1995. uh, Very, very deeply connected to the environmental activist movement. Connected to activism in general, vegan, and that was my world, that was my life, that was my everything. That was my religion. Um, I I, I didn't connect to religion in general, I didn't connect to my Jewish roots, but I knew that I wanted to at least try to be part of the solution of the many problems that we humans have caused Mm -hmm. in our world today. And that's what really motivated both my studies, my lifestyle changes, and, and the like and then lo and behold to my shock and surprise not overnight not just in a day a few years it took to start to realize that my own jewish roots have a lot to say about these things and around the time that i went vegan in 1995 is is around the time that i started getting more interested in spirituality and learning about different cultural traditions and ancient traditions and really feeling jealous of those traditions like wow i didn't grow up with any of that stuff i didn't grow up with anything deep or connected or meaningful or you know real or ancient and i felt the lacking in my life and i really went on this spiritual search that took me a few years and eventually that journey had many pieces and parts but just for the simplicity of uh, of this i'll just say that On that journey, eventually, I became aware of Jewish teachings about the environment. Jewish teachings that talked about Mm. environmental stewardship and caring about the earth and connecting to the earth and talking about how connected the Jewish tradition is to the earth and to the cycles of nature. And I was blown away, absolutely blown away. I'm like, why didn't anyone ever teach me this stuff before? I would have been you know, much more proud uh, to be Jewish growing up. And but I was glad I found it then. And again, that just changed my life. And it really opened up a door of exploration. Like, okay, well, if Judaism has this. What else does it have? And it really opened up a door of exploration for me. And um, really, my 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 love for the environment, my my passion for for environmentalism and veganism and compassion for animals really brought me to that door. To judaism and then i opened it up and i found all kinds of other great things that i was looking for like spirituality and connection to tradition and and to the past so it was it really was all of this you know my connection again to environmentalism and to veganism that really brought me full force forward into my jewish journey and uh, once I, I got connected it was it just became so clear to me that that this is who i am this is what i want this is what i was looking for and I really came to realize that Judaism essentially, literally, is 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 all about changing the world. It's all about fixing the world. It's all about recognizing the brokenness in our world and doing our very best to fix that brokenness. And we have 3,000 plus years of teachings, laws, values, and traditions to help us do that.
1: Wow. I mean, it's so amazing that you were able to make this connection because when you really think about it, it can go hand in hand. Judaism and veganism really can go hand in hand. But why are you only one of seven rabbis that can see this
0: it's a very interesting question i don't have such a great answer for that question but when i'm asked that question i say the following one is i think you know with all due love and respect to all the rabbis out there and to all the people out there you know who are connected to the jewish tradition and i really do have lots and lots of respect and offer them I think they're just misunderstanding things. I think they're just, they haven't updated their, their awareness of, of what's happening in the world. So kind of stuck in, you know, the old school way of um, of, of, of living and, and, and eating. And you know, it's tradition, like, you know, like like Fiddler on the Roof, tradition, you know, like we have these traditions of eating gefilte fish and brisket and, and all these things on the holidays and on Shabbat and chicken soup. And it's like, okay, like tradition is great. Tradition is fine. It's actually very, very important in Judaism, but tradition cannot override a Torah law. And in our world today, in the factory farming world, there are Torah laws, Torah laws, like from the Bible, like in the black and the white, not like a commentary, not like a nice little kind of twist on on the words. Torah laws that are being broken in these industries, in the way that they're raising the animals, in the, in the way that they are intensely using resources, in the way that they are polluting the environment, in the way that they are causing tremendous illness to people, to humans.
1: So I think it's one of those things where when it comes to culture, we have to reassess and analyze who the victim is and who's being harmed from these cultures. Because culture, at the end of the day, does not dictate morality. And as we grow and evolve as a society, we need to reassess what are ways that we can celebrate this culture without using animal products or without harming others. And so there are so many great Jewish traditions that you can celebrate using symbolism or symbolic materials. For example, on Passover, instead of using the bones, you can use another item that doesn't actually come from an animal, a fake Egg or a fake bone, or there's so many other ways to go about it that we are not living back in, you know, before Christ era. We're not living in these ancient times. And so I think it's really important to continue to evolve as a society and not use culture as an excuse to do bad things.
0: I, I, I hear you, but I, I would even say that it's already built into not only our culture but our laws and our traditions. If you just strictly look at the laws and the, and, and the obligations, there's no obligation to eat animals today. There's no laws saying that you must eat animals ever, not on the holidays, not on Shabbat, nothing. There's no obligation, and and the things like Passover Seder and 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 the, and the and the shank bone and the eggs, those are traditions. Those are not obligations. Those are tradition. You don't even have to have a Seder plate. If you didn't have a Seder plate at your Seder, you didn't do anything wrong. It's just, you know, about adding to the symbolism of of the evening, which is nice. It's nice. It has a place. But it it's not anywhere close to the level of obligation. So we we see even in in, in our tradition in, from the from the perspective of laws that there's no need to eat animals. There's no need to use animals in these symbolic kind of, you know, customary kind of ways.
1: You do see quotes in the Bible that say, for example, every creature that lives shall be yours to eat. As with the green grasses, I give you all of these. Genesis 9, 3. These are, however, and then they say, you must not, however, eat flesh with its life blood in it. So how would you respond to some of these Verses that kind of give you consent to eat these products, but then take it back in the next verse
0: Well, so it's interesting So we have to kind of like zoom out even more because we have to look at Genesis chapter 1 verse 29 when God gives the first diet To all of humanity right through Adam and Eve, but through to humanity after them and that's a purely vegan diet Genesis 129 completely vegan diet. That's humanity's diet 1.0 And so then we have to ask the question. Why did God change God's mind?
1: just to read that, Genesis one twenty nine, it says, See, I give you every seed-bearing plant that is upon all earth, and every tree that has seed-bearing fruit, they shall be yours for food. And then God refers to the animals, and to all the animals on land, to all the birds of the sky, and to everything that creeps on earth in which there is the breath of life. I give all the green plants for food. Genesis one thirty.
0: Right. So... It all starts off with a vegan diet. And so the question is, why Why the change? Why the permission afterwards to eat animals, right? There's a permission given in the generation of Noah after the flood to eat animals. We have to remember that when that permission was given, it was immediately after the flood, which came because of the moral and spiritual degradation of humanity, right? So it it's understood by some very, very important Torah commentators that the permission to eat meat was a concession to humanity who was no longer on the level to keep to to that Garden of Eden diet, right? That was the ideal, that was the first, that was supposed to last. It didn't because humanity changed and the permission, 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 not obligation, permission was given because there was this understanding, one interpretation at least of it is, that there was, they no longer had the, the ability to hold themselves back from eating flesh. right? So the permission was given, but it was a reflection of their lowered moral and spiritual state. And some commentators like Rav Cook, who was the first chief rabbi of pre-state Israel, says that it was a temporary concession. It was a concession that wasn't meant to last forever. And he says, how can we imagine that the first ideal diet w- will never return? how can we imagine that we're not going to return to it one day? Of course. To paraphrase his words, he's saying, of course we're going to return to it one day. In the future, he says, we are going to return to the original Garden of Eden diet, which is a purely vegan diet. Another rabbi in, in Israel today, Rabbi Eliezer Malamed, who himself, he's not vegetarian, he's not vegan, but in his book of Jewish law, which is probably the most important and popular book of law being used today in Israel, uh, probably in the Jewish world worldwide, he um, he says straight up in his introduction to the laws of, of, uh, of eating meat, he said that the abundance of laws uh, for the compassion of animals in Judaism is to teach us, is right? to open up our hearts, all right, and get us ready for the fact that in the future, we are gonna cease eating animals altogether. These are leading, leading wow. rabbis saying this.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's amazing. And I think it, it, it. you bring up a great point where this is a temporary concession where he's saying that, OK, this is what you may need to survive now, but we don't need to do this forever. And I do think that as humans, we're greedy, we're selfish. We tend to think that we have dominion over all life, over all beings. And we, you know, are, are given a hand and then we take an arm. And it's gotten to the point where it's the gluttony in our society has cause such terrible environmental damage, almost irreversible environmental damage from just animal agriculture alone. So um, I think that you bring up some really good points that this is not how it was intended to be. And when you think of an all loving God, when you think of a compassionate God, what kind of God would create animals with the ability to feel pain and suffer if we were meant to be doing the things that we're doing to them? You know are the works right. of slaughterhouses the works of god or are they the works of the devil
0: 100 because and right and, and we have to be you know open and honest and like judaism does give the permission to eat animals but that permission was given thousands of years ago to walk into a factory farm today or into a slaughterhouse and try to match that up with that permission given thousands of years ago it doesn't make sense this is not i I, I, I can never you know, say, this is what God thought. You know, I can't assume what God thought on anything, but I feel really good, I feel really confident about saying that this is not what God intended. right? When that permission was given, again, permission, not obligation, when that permission was given, There's no way in the world that God had an idea. Yeah, one day I want the world to slaughter 70 to 100 billion land animals every single year. In order to get to that number, I don't care how they're treated or what impact they have on the world that I created. Just let's get to that number. There's no way, there's no way that this is in line with God's vision for the world and the the vision that we received. As, as human beings in general, and, and, and Jewish people in specific, we received a mandate to help elevate this world, better this world, perfect and fix this world. How can this possibly be part of the plan to better the world? In our world today, Right, and like you were kind of alluding to before, in every generation we have to ask, like, what's the best way to live to bring about that vision? It's clear as day to me and I know to you and, and other you know vegans out there that this is the best way to eat. This is the best way to eat today in order to make the world a better place and to start reversing some of the damage that we modern humans have caused to this world.
1: And not to mention, but in the Torah, there are laws that specifically protect animals. Look at Zara Belechayim. What happened to that? The Torah is literally saying we shall not commit harm to animals. It's like, where is that line drawn? Oh, so, you know, because we want to have a fried chicken sandwich, it's okay to slit their throats. Like, where is that line drawn? Thou shalt not kill. I mean, that's pretty clear as day, if you ask me.
0: Right. And I think, you know, I think we are starting to see a change. I just saw a a video recently of some leading rabbis in Israel. Um, It was filmed like five or six years ago, and I just happened to see it recently. And you have these leading rabbis talking about what's going on in these factory farms and what's going on in these slaughterhouses. And they're saying this is not okay, this is not the way it was supposed to be. And they're even talking from like a a kosher perspective. This is not even kosher. The way they're things are happening so insanely fast in these slaughterhouses, the way it was never even possible before, they said there's no way that this is even kosher, right? Forget about all the other laws that are being violated, right? Because there's the laws of kosher, and then, like you said, there's the laws of Tzara Balei chayim, which is animal welfare laws. There's laws of Baal Tashkhi, which is not wasting valuable resources. But, I mean, I think all you have to do is spend one second inside these factory farms and see it's clear as day that, that, that the animal yeah. welfare laws of Judaism are being violated and trampled upon.
1: Right, and even inside some of these humane family-raised farms, it's still not what you think it is. I feel like we as humans place these idyllic images inside of our minds and we say, oh, well, if it comes from a family farm, a lot of family farms have over 3,000 head of cattle. Okay. It's not as small and cute and little as you think it is. And even if it was, these animals still end up at a slaughterhouse. The same ones that the factory farm animals end up at fighting for their lives at the end of the day. So let's stop trying to make the wrong thing, right? You know, there's really no right way to do the wrong thing. And so I guess the other question that I had for you is what is kosher? What does that even mean? What is kosher slaughter? Why is that? Why does that make food holier than thou? What does that mean?
0: Right. So Judaism has very specific laws about lots of things, right? lots of details of those laws. All right. Lots of details of those laws. And when it comes to Kashrut, the laws of kosher, uh, or the kosher laws, there's lots and lots of details. And in Judaism, there's laws that are called mishpatim, which are like rational laws, like we can understand them with our rational mind. And then there are laws known as chukim, which are beyond uh, rationalism, right? We, We can't always fully understand or understand at all the reason behind it right so i would say in terms of the kosher laws there are some that are kind of like rational and some that are beyond rational but um you know right for for an animal for for let's say say meat for meat to be kosher first of all the animal has to be one of the kosher species of animals okay and then once you have a kosher uh, animal then the slaughter has to be kosher which means it has to be done by a trained shokhet who is a ritual slaughterer, using very, very specific knives, very, very sharp knives. And the idea is that the knife is so sharp that that it, 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 it quickens the death. It, it brings about the quickest possible death to the animal. Now, some people today might say, but, you know, there's even quicker ways, you know, a, a screw to the head with like one of these screw guns that they use in the regular factory farms that we've seen so many videos of. And while that might be right, first of all, this is an ancient law that can't be changed in Judaism. Second of all, I mean, stepping out of the box of a vegan, maybe for a second, like if you're going to eat meat and you're going to kill an animal, I, I, I do think, you know, and it's kind of a crazy thing to say, but I'll just say it. I think the best way to do it is like, yeah, be aware of what you're doing. Stand next to an animal. Look at the animal in the eye. And 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 be the one, not like a machine killing it, but like do it yourself to really, really understand the 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 intensity of taking another life right to sustain your own, even though you can sustain your life without eating animals. But again, putting that aside just for the moment. All right, so there is that kind of power in the Jewish tradition of of kosher slaughter in this very, very specific way. But again, in our modern day world, while yes, there are still Kosher slaughterer is standing there with a knife and killing the animals with a, you know, a stroke to the neck. It's happening so lightning speed. They have no time to think about what they're doing. They have no time to have the, the intention and the thought and the spiritual awareness and consciousness that they were supposed to have. Right. And now it's just like they're just working on the assembly line. And literally, we know that, you know, multiple chickens are killed every minute. About, you know, one minute, uh, you know, for every cow that's killed approximately. So there's literally, literally no time. It's just like kill, 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 kill. And you hear stories of, you know, uh, rabbis just from a few centuries ago. If they were the kosher slaughter in their town, there's one story of a very important rabbi. His name is the Baal Shem Tov. He before became like very, very well known. He was a ritual slaughter in a small town. And people complained about him. Why? Because he would kill about one animal. It would take him all day to kill one animal. Why? Because he would sit with it and cry. With the animal before he killed it he would talk to the animal for hours right and literally cry with the animal before taking its life and so that's not the world we're living in anymore we're living in a factory farm world where things are happening so lightning speed and there's no time at all for any kind of spiritual awareness or or, or intention which is another big tragedy uh of, of of the whole kosher meat and you know food industry is that it's really it's become so industrialized that it's, that it's come so far from its original point and intention.
1: Right. It's completely mindless, this type of consumption. And I remember growing up, I had religious cousins that did not mix milk and meat. And from what I understood about why we did that or why they did that was that the it's like taking a gift from the cow that you are eating. So they didn't want to put cheese on the hamburger or have pepperoni pizza because they felt that it was wrong. You're basically taking an individual's life and then also taking the gift that she gave you.
0: There is that idea. And there's other ways of kind of understanding and explaining the laws of not milk, mixing milk and meat. Rav Cook, again, who I quoted, Rav Kook, who I quoted before, has this very, very powerful, intense, and beautiful teaching. I, don't, I can't go into all the details right now. It's, it's, it's a pretty lengthy teaching. But he basically says that the whole the whole prohibition uh, against eating meat and milk is to really wake us up and help us to realize like, oh my God, what am I doing? I'm just like taking, taking, taking. I'm being like totally gluttonous. You know, like I'll have the meat. And of course it makes sense to take the meat and boil it in, in, the, in, in the milk of the mother. You know, and the Torah's like, no, don't do that realize what you're doing in general right and how gluttonous rough cook says how gluttonous you're being by thinking everything's for you that the meat's for me that the, the milk's for me everything's for me it's like no the milk was made for the calf just like a mother a human mother has milk for her baby i right? don't think it's for you don't think everything's for you and it's a real real moral teaching kind of you know, uh, hidden inside this law of not mixing milk and meat, another kind of hint, even a, a a loud hint, I would say, to the fact that while permission was given in Judaism to humans to eat animals, it is not the ideal. And there's many, many other hints, some latter than others, um, how that eating meat just is not the ideal in, in Judaism. That uh, multiple times throughout the Torah eating meat is linked with the word ta'ava and hebrew ta'ava is is lust right and in judaism lust is something that we are supposed to run away from distance ourselves from if we're sensing that we're lusting after something stop ourselves be aware don't go there don't give in
1: yeah in buddhism too it's uh they teach you to run away from lust there's you know like i think i just did a teaching last week where they were talking about these six pillars of things we should run away from, which is lust, pride, anger, jealousy, and you know a few others. So I think it's really interesting that um, there's so many connections between all these different religions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, um, and so many other religions that they all come together and show, okay, we don't need to be eating animals. There's nothing in any of these teachings that say we must eat animals. And in fact, if you look at Christianity, Jesus was actually the one that was saying we need to stop animal sacrifice four days after the den of thieves, which was an event where he actually released all of these animals waiting to be slaughtered. He was then executed. So many people don't know that Jesus was in essence, a modern day vegan activist. Mm -hmm.
0: Right. I mean, there's a lots of biblical support, you know, uh, for this. And even it, even with the animal sacrifices in the temple, that's such a different, Reality, that's such a different time. That's such a different part of the Torah. You can't take that and say, oh, yeah You see God wants us to do whatever we want to animals No, that was a very specific unique uh, Thing in a very specific time and place and part of our history and today we're living in a very very different time and in a very different uh, reality and we have to take the the ancient laws and values of the Jewish tradition and, and apply them to today and it's just a very, very different world. Just because God said, you know, you know, to do these sacrifices a long time ago in the temple in Jerusalem doesn't give us permission to, to support these factory farms that are happening today. There is no connection whatsoever between the two.
1: Absolutely. And veganism, to me at least, is you're, you're walking the walk. You're not just talking the talk and saying, we should be kind. We should be compassionate beings. We should support the environment. We're actually doing all of these things through our actions. And so what is some of the challenges that you face as a vegan rabbi, one of the few that exist? What are some of the pushback that you get from some of your colleagues, maybe some of the people that look up to you that maybe aren't vegan yet? Talk about some of these challenges and how they affect you and how you also work through them
0: from people in my community, I don't get kickback, even though most people are not vegetarian or vegan. Um, They don't want to find the need to argue with me. Um, I think they also know that if, you know, with all due love and respect, if they do argue, like I'm ready for a good argument, then I have no problem, you know, uh, holding my ground and and speaking my truth. I'll be totally honest with you. And I I say this with all the humility I could um, garner up. I have... I have been challenged by people, for sure, and other rabbis, mostly online, mostly online, not, not necessarily in person. I haven't, I literally, I still haven't heard one really good argument. I haven't heard one argument, and I say this again with all the humility in the world, I haven't heard one argument that I, I felt I couldn't, um, you know, rebut and, and, and refute and, you know, just kind of push off and push away. Because there really is no Jewish, uh, there's no good Jewish argument today for, for eating animals and for supporting the, the factory farms and the meat, dairy, fish, and egg industry. There just isn't. And, and you know, again, like we said this before, but just, you know, the, the tradition, the tradition to eat certain, you know, animal foods on certain holidays and on Shabbat is, is just a tradition. It's not an obligation. And I, I, everything I, I share and everything I teach is rooted in Jewish text. This isn't stuff I make up, this isn't from my own thoughts and beliefs and writings. I literally, when I teach a class, when I give a lecture, it's just all quotes from books that have already been universally accepted uh, in, in the Jewish world. Texts from hundreds of years ago, some of them from thousands of years ago. And, and look, Judaism is a, is, is, is a religion of billions of teachings because we've been around so long. So, I can understand on some level while, why not everyone is aware of all of these teachings. But when you do become aware of them and then you look at our modern day world and see what we're doing to animals, like, huh, wow. Uh, so how can I go on continuing to support this and live this way and, and eat this way? So I'm, I'm always I'm always ready for a good argument. I'm always open for a, a good, you know, heated debate and discussion. And I just feel like I, I have my... I have what to support me from from a very jewish perspective i have been accused multiple times of trying to make up a new religion and twist judaism to support my agenda as if this is my agenda that i came up with you know it's like no i want to do my part my even a little part to try to make this world a better place and to really bring these jewish teachings laws and values to life in our modern day world And, and, and and i'll just say this to kind of close this part like so You know, again, some people say, oh, but you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to eat animals on the holiday or animals on the Shabbat. I'm like, first of all, again, I've said this many times, but like, you don't. And, you know, there's, a, there's this idea in Judaism of being machmir, of being strict, of being stringent, that there's like a value in being like overly strict about something, if you can, when you can. So I just tell people, like, I'm very strict when it comes to compassion for animals in Judaism, right? Because we have these laws. And my veganism is not being extreme, it's not being against anything Jewish, it's actually being very strict about a very, very Jewish value and law
1: oh my gosh so well said and i love how you were saying i'm ready for the battle come at me i got my facts i got my sources i have my quotes because i feel the same way when i'm advocating for veganism too i mean i go out on the streets and i have debates with people on the streets in public and i'm like hit me with your best argument please i'm begging you give me something to work with and over and over again you hear the same 10 excuses from God created animals for us to eat to, oh, but protein to, oh, but what about, you know, iron and B12? Like there's so many arguments that these people have that it's become almost ingrained in my mind how I need to respond because I'm like, I've heard this all before and I know the answer five minutes before you ask the question. <laughs> so right. I love
0: exactly
1: you know, that we are able You know? And I'm like, I love that I'm always right. (laughs) (laughs) I say this with humility. Um, But somebody actually sent to me the other day, they were like, (laughs) they were like, um, so do you look down or talk down to people that aren't vegan? And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, why the hell would we continue shooting cows in the face? But then I'm like, okay, well, no, I don't overtly talk down to people i'm trying to educate and enlighten and hopefully uh, i can help make people make the connection like i once did
0: right 100 100 i think you know as much as we can speak about it and uh and as we live it as we role model this right people see people know people hear you know, people see me in person or people see me on social media and they, you know, read a post or whatever. And I've had people come up to me who I, I know, you know, like in the world of social media, I have no idea who's reading your stuff and who's being influenced and, and who's changing as a result. I've had people come up to me and say, you know, you're right. I've been reading your stuff. You're absolutely right. You know, like I can't say anything anything against what you're saying. And again, what I'm saying is what Judaism is saying. All I'm doing is bringing these Jewish teachings to to light to to the public awareness and and the you know the teachings do do the work you know uh, on their own and and if people's hearts are even a little bit open to trying to be part of the solution and, and no longer no longer being part of the problem or at least lessening the amount that they're part of the problem that they want a better world so these teachings are going to go into their heart and and hopefully change their actions
1: right and we're just reconnecting people with i think the empathy and compassion that they already have in their hearts because when you look at children you look at how they want to be kind to animals how they're intrigued by them all the storybooks that we read as kids are happy animals and we love animals it's just through deep societal conditioning that we're then taught the these animals are for food and these animals are for pets and companionship. So it's really, it's like any other ism that exists, racism, sexism. It's where we devalue the lives of another being just based on their appearance.
0: hundred percent, hundred percent. And, you know, again, there's so many teachings out there in Judaism, but, uh, I've, I've come across teachings that talk about the very, very deep connection between humans and animals. And, uh, and how just like, you know, humans will be, you know, uh, elevated, you know, in, in, the, in the future times, you know, that Judaism calls a messianic age, so too will, will the animals, that there will be an elevation for all of creation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, um, yeah, you, you, you hear stories of mystics in, 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 the, in the Jewish past who spoke with creatures and spoke with creation and they connected on a very, very deep level. And that's a real part of Judaism as well.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So why don't you just talk a little bit about what it's like being vegan for over 20 years and maybe share some of the benefits health-wise that you've experienced health-wise, spirituality-wise, whatever the benefits are that you've seen over the years.
0: Um, So I kind of forget what it's like not to be vegan uh, just because it has been so long, but definitely all kinds of benefits, multiple benefits. there's there's physical benefits. There's the health benefits. There's the mental, emotional, spiritual benefits. There's knowing that you're not supporting, you know, these horrendous industries, uh, and adding to this specific damage that's being caused to the world. And you know, so often people will ask, but you, I'm just one person. You're just one person. So first of all, we know one plus one plus one eventually equals ten, and the tens equal hundreds, and the whole idea. You know, that that quote from Margaret Mead. You know, that, uh, you know, never underestimate the power uh, that a small group of committed people has to change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that ever did. So first of all, we can't give up on the ones because the ones turn into millions. And that's the only way real change happens in the world. Second of all, even, 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 Mm -hmm. even, if I knew in the future that all the work we're doing wasn't going to pay off, at least I know that I wasn't taking part in this injustice. I wasn't taking part in this travesty and this tragedy right it's like you know like uh, imagine like a whole class of kids making fun of one person and and they're saying you can't change everybody but still i know i'm not doing that horrible thing right first of all i'm gonna try to change everybody and second of all i know inside that i'm doing my very best to be on the the side of, of what's right what's just and what's good so I, I think after all of these years, the thing I feel the most, because like, I can't remember you know, health-wise what it was like not to be vegan, but what I do still very much feel uh, in my being is, is that I believe that I'm living out Jewish laws and values and the vision of Judaism to create a better world through my eating. And that's like, <laughs> I can't think of many other feelings better than that.
1: Well, the beautiful thing, about veganism is that there's there's so many different perspectives you can take i mean even as you were saying just from the environmental perspective if that's something that interests somebody you can really focus on how going vegan can benefit the environment if religion is something that really interests somebody we can talk about how veganism and religion are connected if the animal ethics is something that somebody really cares about then we can focus on that and then of course there's health There's human rights and so many other reasons why the world should go vegan. It really relates to everything and anything, and it doesn't hold us back from advocating for other social justice issues. And instead, I think it actually has made me more of a compassionate, well rounded person that cares about multiple different issues outside of just veganism, you know, extending all the way to human rights and. I care so much more just about how my choices and actions as a consumer affect the world. And
0: there's the idea that we are what we eat. And Judaism believes that as well. If you look in the Jewish mystical teachings, we are what we eat. And if people are ingesting this violence and this terror and this harm and this pain and this fear, I mean, no wonder our society looks the way that it does. And the more people distance themselves from eating like that and from ingesting these kinds of emotions and energies that's one way a very a very powerful way that we could improve society and fix the world and like you said there's so many ways that people can connect to this when you know back when i first became vegan it was purely about the animals and then i learned about the environmental benefits and then only years later did i learn about the health benefits and eventually the spiritual benefits right and and so usually when i'm talking about this in, in a lecture I don't always have time to go into great depth about each of these four things, but these are four things I at least mention. that from a Jewish perspective, we have the environmental, you have the animal welfare, you have the health, and you have the, the spiritual. And like you said as well, there's a whole human rights aspect to it, and there's justice you know, components to it. So it's really multifaceted. And people these days can really choose which, which facet you know, of this issue they most relate to and be inspired mm-hmm. from that place.
1: And also, we as a group of people that were severely oppressed not so many years ago, we know what suffering is. We know what it's like to endure mistreatment, to quite literally be murdered. Six million of our people be murdered. And, you know, it's not really my place to make the comparison, but there have been Holocaust survivors that have compared some of the actions that happened in animal agriculture to what happened to our people from the gas chambers to the transport trucks to the devalue of of life. Did you want to make a comment on that?
0: I do. And I think it's a really powerful thing to bring up. And I think it's really, really interesting that one of the founders and original leaders of the modern American animal rights movement is a Holocaust survivor. Right. Alex Hershaft, he was in the Holocaust, he experienced the horrors. And when he saw what was happening in the factory farming world and how animals were being treated, he himself said, right, it's one thing for somebody who wasn't in the Holocaust to say that. And I know that's a whole big debate in the Jewish vegan world and the whole Jewish animal activist world can you compare it to the Holocaust? can you not is it okay for people in general non-jews and jews to compare that's a whole discussion it's a whole debate i really stay away from that all right but i think it's very very powerful that a holocaust survivor himself was one of the first people to ever articulate that connection and he said what i went through what my people went through what i saw every single day this is what's happening with the animals right today. So uh, hundred percent agree with what you just said. You know, our, it says in the Torah, dozens of times, don't forget that you were slaves in Egypt. And one of the main ways of understanding that is don't forget the oppression you went through so that you can do all you can to, to lift the oppression of others. And that idea of other, we need to expand beyond human beings.
1: Right. Exactly. And you know, just to put it into perspective, you know, for people that are listening, it's one of those things where when you look at the equipment, the gas chambers used on people, they actually took a lot of that technology from animal agriculture. And um, just to kind of give you an insight as to how many animals are being killed every single day, every ten hours. The amount of lives taken in animal agriculture is equivalent to the amount of lives taken in six years in World War II. So that means that every 10 hours, six million animals are killed.
0: Right. It's it's shocking it's and beyond comprehension. Yeah, exactly. It's absolutely crazy.
1: Yeah. So I just did want to touch on that. I do think that you know when we look at just oppression in general it's it we have to start really looking at okay well this is what happened to people and we were so upset with what happened to this why aren't we caring about what's happening to animals because at the end of the day they are sentient beings that think that feel that dream that suffer that also deserve to live on this planet just like us
0: 100 percent.
1: i guess to Kind of just get into the positive aspects of what's happening in Israel. So Israel has the most amount of vegans ever out of every single country to exist.
0: Yeah, it's pretty amazing and inspiring. Per capita, Israel has the largest percentage of vegans in in the world. Tel Aviv is has been crowned, you know, the most vegan friendly uh, city in the world. It's a pretty amazing thing, um, especially when you. You know, think about all the other issues, problems, and challenges that our little tiny country has, um, and I like to understand that um, that it's connected to you know the the ancient Jewish value that I that I mentioned before of, of fixing the world, of elevating the world. What we call in Hebrew Tikun Olam, that. If we are wanting to create a better reality, a better future for humans and all creatures and creation and everything on this planet together, then this is the way to eat. The way that we eat is impacting the world so greatly. So if we want to change the world, we have to change the way that we're eating. And it's no surprise to me that so many Israelis are being turned on to this, tuning into this, taking this on. And it's really part of, you know, Israel is a complex place, right? We got our great parts. We have our problematic parts. We have our accomplishments and we have our problems. But there is something in the society. And it's really what's been driving the whole high-tech boom in this country. What, what, you know is called the startup nation. And, and one of the things that fuels it is this desire to, to fix the world, to make the world a better place. And I see that same value driving the vegan movement in Israel as well. People want a better reality. They want a better world. They want to ensure a better future. So let's start with what's on our plate.
1: Totally. And for those of you guys that might be in Israel, if you're listening to this, Rabbi Akiva Gersh is hosting Vegan Hikes. You're doing different community gatherings, I think talks in Israel as well. So why don't you just share some upcoming events and some events that you have consistently that people can get together and join you in the vegan movement out in Israel.
0: So I just was in America. I'll just start with that, you know, for a speaking tour, which is again where we met, which is really, really awesome. And uh, that really motivated me to do more live events here because, you know, when I started uh, my Vegan Rabbi platform online, it was during, you know, the shutdowns of COVID, Corona and all things like that. So it was really virtual. It still very much is on, on social media, but I really wanted to bring it into the public sphere. So um, I do have a hike uh, coming up on Friday and uh, i've done other events in the past speaking events and engagements i'm um, talking to other people to to join forces a sanctuary farm a vegan restaurant in tel aviv we're in conversation now to to plan events together as well as uh, speaking more as well in various places so uh tune in if you go to my website at kivagirsch.com you can sign up for my newsletter and you'll get updated on, on all kinds of future events and uh, i really hope specifically this year To really kind of uh, turn that up and do more live events and activities here in Israel for people and with people.
1: And just to spell that for you guys, it's A-K-I-V-A-G-E-R-S-H dot com. And you can also follow Rabbi Akiva Gersh at Vegan Rabbi on Instagram. That's Vegan R-A-B-B-I. And... You know, if you have any questions, please reach out to Rabbi Akiva Gersh, reach out to me. Uh, We're more than happy to help you, to guide you. This is a movement that is about building a community, supporting one another, we're here for you. If you are veg curious, if you're already vegan, but looking to strengthen your roots in Judaism, like we can help you. And please, uh, is Instagram the best way to reach out to you?
0: Uh, Yeah, Instagram is a great way.
1: So, yeah. And was there anything else that you wanted to add that maybe we didn't get to touch on? Because this is obviously a subject matter that we could do a podcast for three days just talking about, <laughs> like, the basics. Uh, so if this is all we can cover really in an hour. But was there anything else?
0: I think I would just say this, and it's really kind of based on things that we talked about already, but just to kind of, like, really fine-tune it and, and, and maybe just close with this, that that the vision of judaism is to perfect this world is to fix this world is to elevate this world that's why we're here it's why there's such a thing called judaism is why there's all these mitzvot these commandments and all these laws when you look into the deeper mystical tradition of judaism it talks about everything we're doing every single day plays a part in the fixing of the world and so Really, we're being inspired to kind of, you know, as much as possible, humble ourselves, all right, um, and, and, and and allow our lives to be guided by a, a, a much larger vision. Not just like our little everyday detailed me, me, me kind of world. How am I going to, how am I going to, how am I going to, whatever, you know, but really let our lives be guided by this bigger vision. Why we are here and the whole goal and the whole mission here? and to really zoom out and see that. And if we do see that and we connect to that and allow that to guide our lives, then again, when it comes to our food choices, which we make so many times every single day, I deeply, deeply believe that we will want to choose food choices that are gonna bring the most amount of peace and health and justice and compassion into the world. And today, that means eating a vegan diet
1: beautiful beautifully said and i really appreciate you taking the time to break some of this complicated subject matter down for us and you inspire me every single day i hope that my audience will go check out your instagram page vegan rabbi and connect with you and explore this topic deeper because you know at the end of the day we want to leave this world a better place than we found it and people like you are doing just that so thank you so much
0: Thank you, Jamie. Really such an honor and a pleasure to be here with you, to talk to you. And I love the work that you're doing. Continue, be strong and uh, so much uh, success with your amazing work.
1: Thank you so much. And until next time, guys, you can follow me at It's Jamie's Corner. And I appreciate you all listening. Have a great day and we'll talk soon. All right. Bye.